As we kick off today, uh, how many would, of you would say, by a show of hands, that you would call yourself a leader? Raise your hand. Leader. Okay, leaders raise room. Yep, every service, it's about half uh, that we see. Now, what if I told you the most uh, common and basic definition of a leader is someone with influence? In other words, uh, if you're a parent, you have influence. If you're a friend, you have influence. If you're a coworker, a neighbor, a boss, an employer, employee, etc., etc., you have influence. And so if I were to ask that question again, how many of you guys say by a show of hands that you are a leader? Right. You know, a lot of times we hear that word leader and we think, oh, that's those people who have some sort of positional authority or, or, or significant standing or great talent. And you're realizing, that, no, 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 God has given you this gift as well. The question is not, are you a leader? The question is, where and how are you leading? How does that look like? Uh, so we took a look at who would best exemplify this. We're going to do an eight-week series. And who would be- best exemplify you know, what it means to be a leader you know, now knowing what a leader is, influence, in all of Scripture. Well, the first verse we came to should shock you. Jesus. You know, and so, so we said, that's a good one. But let's try to find someone else who's not God in human form. And so uh, we searched the Scriptures, and we landed on David. We landed on David. So we're going to spend the next eight weeks looking at David. Something you may not know, for those of you, you know, who read your Bible on a regular basis, there's been more that's written about David or that he wrote in the Bible than any other Bible character besides Jesus. In fact, uh, there are 14 chapters that have been written by or dedicated to Abraham. Uh, 14 chapters for Joseph or Jacob. You know, had 11 chapters. Elijah the prophet had eight. But David has over 60 chapters, six zero chapters written about him, and 59 additional references in the New Testament. So he's pretty significant. He was a shepherd, a writer, a musician, a king, a great warrior. But he was also a forgotten son. Sometimes had a temper, wasn't always a great father, and oh, by the way, you know, had adultery and had somebody killed. You know, so there's a little bit of some issues that's in, along the line of David's, which I think we can relate to as we look at what it means to be a leader, a leader. What's interesting is that most of David's battles were internal. They were internal in nature. Speaking of which, have you ever noticed that for most of us, even if you happen to be a follower of Christ today, our greatest struggles are from within? They're internal. Uh, they may be played out externally, you know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, or the actions, the behaviors come out, but it's an internal issue that we're battling. It's what we would call a heart issue. That's where our battles are. They're heart issues. So with that in mind, I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16 uh, in your smartphones, or we've got Bibles in the back as a gift from us to you. Now, there's no way I'm going to be able to read verse by verse. In fact, as we go through First and Second Samuel these next eight weeks, you're going to have to do some reading you know, on your own, I should say. You get to do some reading on your own uh, in, in preparation before you even come to church or something you may want to follow up afterwards. While you're turning there, let me give you some background. In First Samuel 8, uh, God comes to Samuel. Now, the way that God had set up his oversight of the nation of Israel is he would use judges or he would use prophets to speak or proclaim his word or message to his people because he was king. Problem was, we tend to look at other people and want what they want, don't we? We, we think the grass is greener a little bit on the other side. And so the people came to Samuel recognizing that his sons may not be as well or as uh, driven or as good a leader as he is. And they said, hey, Samuel, go to God and ask him if he can give us a king too because that's what everybody else has. And so we want that too. Now, uh, God tells Samuel, that, understand this, the people are not you know, rejecting you, they were rejecting me. You know, I am their king, and they're deciding they want to go to a human king. But I'm going to give them what they ask for. 
Uh, you ever realize in life that sometimes no matter how much someone pleads, bribes, encourages, that you and I don't learn the lesson until we actually go through it ourselves? You know, uh, those of you parents, you understand this better than anybody. You need to trust me. But why? Don't just trust me. This is not going to be good for you. But I don't understand. That's what I want. I love him. You know, you're like, no, this is not good. And you see it clearly. They can't see it. They see what they want, and then they go after it. And then afterwards, you avoid, if, hopefully, the I told you so moment. You know, I, I'll remember, and I think it was Josiah, you know, but I can't remember which one. But I just remember, you know, being tired, you know, uh, impatient, and uh, he was asking me to eat something. And uh, I was eating something because I want that. He's probably about three years old. I want that. I want that. I'm like, no, you don't want anything. You eat this. He goes, no, I want that. I'm like, it's spicy. You do not want this. He goes, no, I want that. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'm tired of this. You know, so he takes it. You know, takes a bite. Ah, it's hot. It's hot. I'm like, told you. You know, that's what it, that, that, and, and yet, and yet as we grow, are we really that much different? Right? We're like, why didn't you listen to me? So God says, okay, I'm going to give them what they want, not realizing what they want is going to be something they're going to regret later. So sometimes God allows us to receive the things that we want, hoping that maybe the things that we receive actually turn our hearts back to him, which we'll get to in just a moment. Now, uh, Saul becomes king. So God instituted Saul. He's head and shoulders. He looks the part. He's got all the abilities, that charisma. I mean, he is the man, if you were to look at him from the outside. Problem is, it didn't take very long for Saul to not be about God, but for Saul to be about Saul. And so over time, you know, God says, you know what? We're not going to have uh, Saul be a king anymore. Samuel, uh, we're going to institute a new king. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the household of Jesse. I'm going to go to Jesse, and I want you to tell him that one of his sons, doesn't tell him which one, one of his sons is going to be king. He didn't tell him which one because he needed to teach him a little bit of a lesson. And so he tells Jesse, hey, I'm coming over. He's like, oh, Jesse's like, oh my gosh, you're coming to our house? Yeah, we're going to anoint one of your sons, the next king of Israel. Can you imagine being a dad of that? You're like, dude, we always want the best for our kids. One of my kids is going to be king. So they, they consecrate themselves. They, they get right. You know, they're wearing their best. Their Sunday best is what we used to call it. Now it's whatever wedding best, you know, because we get to come to church however we want. You know, so we, we come, you know, they, they come to their best. And so he says, here are my sons, all seven of them. Problem is he has eight sons. One wasn't invited to the party. That one happened to be David. He was out tending sheep. He was the runt of the family. He wasn't even thought of when it came to this kind of experience. And I wonder, have you ever been the kid that was overlooked or told you, that you couldn't do it or couldn't be a part of it? Ever been the runt in your family, the black sheep, the person at school that wasn't invited onto the team or onto the work project? Uh, maybe you were the person at work who seemed to, everybody else seems to get the promotions and they get to get the raises and you're like, am I invisible here? I've been putting out just as much effort and as much you know, painful endurance into this, and I'm the one that's forgotten. Have you ever felt like your parents, you know, cared more for you than maybe your, maybe cared more for your siblings than for you? Ever been in that situation? Have you ever experienced any of those things, and you have a little idea of what it must have felt like to be David growing up? But here's the really cool thing about God. God looks at leadership from the inside out. You and I tend to look at it from the outside in. We can't help it. When we see someone in our society like, man, that person is gorgeous. That person has ability. That person has charisma. That person is so smart. That person has it all together. And we say that is successful. And God says, maybe, but that's not what I look at. I look at the secret ingredient, which is the heart. 
See, when uh, 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 Samuel went to Jesse's house, the first person he comes across is Eliab, one of Jesse's oldest sons. And uh, when he arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought this, surely this is the Lord's anointed. He looks the part. Look at him. He's got to be the one. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Honesty time. We, we can fool a lot of people, even ourselves, at time, into thinking that we've got it all together based on our external actions or responses. How easy is it to walk into church and have the smile on and I'm good and I'm okay and to walk into work and still meet you know, the demands and the quota to be the boss, to be the leader, to be the coach, to be the teacher, to be the student, bring home the grades, all that kind of stuff where nobody else seems to know or few people know the true battle that's taking place from within. The true battle that's happening inside of our hearts. God sees through all of that because he wants to go to where it matters most. See, David becomes an unlikely leader because of his heart after God. Not because of his perfection, not because he wasn't going to make mistakes, but because of his heart after God. Now, God rejects Saul for the same reasons. He's got all the talents and influence. He's even winning battles, you know, as he goes through, but his heart wanders further and further away from God. For Samuel, chapter 13, verse 14, Samuel's talking to King Saul, but now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. See, a person after God's heart is three main things. And I would say it this way. A heart that is humble, a heart that is committed, and a heart that is coachable. Second Chronicles chapter 16, 9 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That's what Jesus said. It's about loving God and about loving other people. Now, put about it, think about it in your own context. Parents, coaches, businessmen or women, teachers, however it may be that you find yourself, isn't this the same character qualities that you would want to have an employee, a child, a friend, someone whose heart is humble, someone whose heart is committed, someone whose heart is coachable? Those of you who've ever been in the coaching world, you understand the most challenging and most difficult first kid to coach is the one who's uncoachable. The one who thinks that because they played Madden football that they understand how to play football. You know, and they're like, I got this. Check out my dance moves. Like, that's not football. You know, I don't care how good you are at Fortnite. That's not football. That's a whole different deal. It's hard to coach people. So the question is, is to not, it's easy to look at other people. The question is now we've got to self-reflect. Where's your heart? Are, do you have a heart that is humble? Do you have a heart that is committed? Do you have a heart that is coachable? I can be honest and say at times, I do. But there are other days and times that I get to the end of the day and I realize, hmm, I did it by my own strength, my own power, and I found myself in a lesser position. See, after being anointed by Samuel, David did not become king right away. He was 15 years approximately is what we think. At the age of the time. And I'm skipping some stuff based on what you're going to be reading in Scripture this week. But what happened was a war broke out between the Philistines and the Israelites. And you see this happen time and time again. They just don't like each other. Okay? So this big battle breaks out. And you can follow along in 1 Samuel 17, chapter 17. And Jesse, David's dad, gets, gets David and says, Hey, David, dude, can you take some, some uh, uh, meal, uh, lunch to, to your brothers? And then report back to me. What he wants to know as a dad is, 
how are the sons doing, and how's the battle going? So David heads over there, taking lunch. He's the errand boy. You know, he's the only one that's left, and he takes it to his brothers. Upon arriving, he comes across this scene. And the scene is the Philistines are on one side of a hill. The Israelites are on the other side of the hill. And this is how it would go. They'd wake up in the morning, and imagine this. These guys would put on their armor, and they'd psych themselves up, and they'd get each other psyched up. They first start, you know, you start with this, some fist pounds, then some chest bumps, then you're knocking heads, and then you're doing anything you can, and you see this before any NFL football game, before the game starts, and they're just going, yeah, yeah, get the testosterone flowing, we're going to kill you guys, and then they get on one side, and they start their chants, and oh, oh, you can just feel it going on, at least that's how I imagine it, you know, so this is happening on one side. They're getting psyched up. They're talking about battling. This is war. And the Philistines are doing the same thing on the other side. Then every morning for 40 days, out comes one Philistine. Just one. His name is Goliath. He happens to be over nine feet tall and has been a warrior since his youth. This is what he is gifted and talented to be able to do. Think Shaquille O'Neal on steroids and you're starting to get it. Shaquille was seven feet tall, so he's two feet taller than Shaquille, incredibly coordinated. And he walks out there, and he starts talking smack, and he just says, hey, why don't we settle this this way? You send your best warrior to fight me. If I win, you guys become our slaves. If that person wins, likely, then we'll become your slaves. And then he starts trashing, talking, calling down you know, curses upon the gods and all that kind of stuff, and he does this Every single morning. And here's the crazy part. When he starts doing this, all that, we got him, we got him. Their hearts fail them and they freak out. And they go back to their tents and the same thing happens the next day and the next day and the next day. In fact, uh, Caroline and I got a chance four years ago to go to Israel. And based on archaeological discoveries, we found that this is most likely the place in which the battle took place. And where we are standing is most likely on the Israelite side based on what they have discovered. And on the other side, would have been uh, uh, where the Philistines you know, would have been at. And so this is where, and then the valley was what separated. So you can see that that's where Goliath would have come out to as they got their armies and that together. Here's why this is important. If you ever want to know where your heart is, everyone said, Where's, where is my heart right now? You know this already. Our hearts are revealed in adversity, not in prosperity. Our hearts are feeling adversity when things are not going well, then in prosperity. Hey, I'm a patient person. Yeah, until I have a kid. Then I realized, oh my gosh, I am impatient at three in the morning when they're crying their head off and you're thinking about where's the vodka, you know? <laughs> for them, for me, I don't know, you know? When you, you get to a level, you know, where you're just like, ah, but you grow, but you, you find out where you're at, right? Not when things are crystal clear and things are great, but through adversity. Here's the test. When it comes to our hearts, do we run from or to the battles in our lives? Do we run from? Because here's the reality. Most of us, at times, when we face a battle, and remember, a lot of the battles are within, we run away from. We pretend it's not there. We medicate. We escape. We push down. We don't want to acknowledge that we're suffering or going through this. Guys, it's so easy to come to church. It's so easy to get excited about singing praises to God. It's so easy to stand up and say, so will I. It's easy to put a sticker on your car. It's a lot harder to live like Christ outside these walls, isn't it? When you go to work and people don't like you, 
They don't want to be around you. You go home and you're fighting and tension and struggles and battles are taking place in and around you and, and all those battles that you're facing from within. See, it's so hard to face battles in our lives, especially when we're trying to do it on our own strength. That is exhausting to fight our own battles by our own strength, especially when we're not feeling rejected or supported. See, David, imagine if he tried to do it on his own strength. All right, I'm 15 years old, and my father forgot to invite me to the party. The important, most important party of our family's life, and I was not even invited. Talk about rejection from a dad. Some of you guys have felt that. He was also rejected by his siblings. He's there taking lunch. He's hearing what Goliath is saying. He's like, dude, is anybody going to do anything about this? And this is what we read in 1 Samuel 17. When David's older brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry with David. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? You know, you know he's just, that's just a dig. I know that because I have an older brother. You know, like, hey, just go take care of those little sheep. You know, those little pesky little things. I know you about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. He's like, what are you talking about? He's rejected by his father. He's rejected by his siblings. He's rejected by King Saul, right? Walks into Saul's, you know, chambers. And Saul says this, don't be ridiculous, Saul said to David, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. See, according to everyone's eyes and perception, understand this and hear this clearly, they were right. He had no training. This was not his, 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 his armor battle to fight that we're about to read about. So from everybody's eyes and vantage point, there's no way that this guy is supposed to beat this other guy. It's not going to happen. But we look at the outside, and God looks at the heart. I, I remember going to college, and uh, going to college, I had an opportunity. So I grew up in Seattle, you know, a white suburban kid from Seattle, went down to, to uh, Orange County area to go to college, and got an opportunity, um, 17 years old, to work out in East LA, East Los Angeles, to work with his Hispanic inner city kids from rough backgrounds and different, different, different life's choices based on the parents or them that were involved in. And so I just felt like, man, God, God you, you're calling me to go out here. So I had a roommate of mine. We went out there, and, we're like, and we just got more and more excited about, God, you're calling us to come out here. So where we go, we, we need to know. We have no idea what we're doing. I know what we'll do. We'll go and get support from our Christian college professors, almost to a man. They kept telling us, you're not going to do well here. You're a white kid from the suburbs. You have no idea the stuff that they've been through. And that was, that was even from our missions, you know, guy. See, I love Steve because he's our mission guy. He's Steve, you believe in me. Most of the time. That's all I needed. I just needed the most. Because he's like, no, you can't do this. You don't understand cross-cultural ministries. And I was like so discouraged by that and so angry at the same time. So what I do? I call home. Right? And so you call home. Who's going to give you support? Of course, your parents. And I called my dad. I said, Dad, here's what I'm doing. He's like, that's great, son. That was the first thing I was about. That's really, really good. He goes, but, there's the but, it might be wise for you to focus on your studies right now. Right? You've got four years, Dan, I know you, maybe five, you know, to, to get through college. Uh, so maybe you should focus that. You'll have the rest of your life to focus on ministry. And, and that wasn't encouraging. So I was like, put mom on the phone, Dad. All right, mom's going to give me support. She's going to give me love. So she listens, and she's like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And then she says these words, sounds kind of dangerous to me, right? Because that's what we're all about as Americans, about safety. We don't do what God calls us unless it's safe. 
If it's safe, then we'll think about going to the Philippines or we'll go to Uganda or work in the inner city or we'll work downtown with homeless people or we'll walk across the street and engage in a conversation with somebody we don't know. If it's safe, then we'll actually go and do it. And so she was, out of love for her son, she was very aware of what it was like in East L.A. Just to give you an idea, it's five minutes from where the Rodney King riot started. You know, so it was not a great part of town, but we were still in and just bolden, just going like, our hearts are burning to be a part of this. And here's what I can tell you, is that we got all of our, our friends together. We got other idiots of, of people who have no experience together. And when one idiot is following another idiot, sometimes some cool things happen. Because you start to believe in things that other people don't see. And you work together. And I can tell you it was an amazing five years of ministry. Some of the most amazing five years of ministry in my life where literally hundreds of students were impacted for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And still today, as you follow them on Facebook, we run into them time to time. You see so many who are making a difference, a generational difference in the lives of their peers because here were some idiotic college students who said, we believe that there is a God who is bigger than what other people are seeing. So we give God all the glory for that. You see, here's what I want to tell you. When people reject you and say that you can't, I want you to, to remind them, you're right. I can't, but I have a God who can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I have a God who says, if he's for me, who can be against me? I have a God that allows me to align myself with the king of the universe, or the one who's most powerful that being that's ever been created, and I get to be on his side. And so when things don't make sense, the question is, are we tapped into God? Because the opposite tends to happen, meaning I rely on my strength more often than I'd like to admit. See, 1 Timothy 4, 12, let me encourage some of you who are younger. Don't let anyone look less on you because you are young. Be an example. You set the tone for all the believers, young and old, in what you say, the way you live, your love, your faith, and your purity. So we find David in this crux. We find him in this in this. This, this, this difficult decision, what should he do? And finally, he convinces Saul. Verse 34, if you want to read that in your Bibles. After Saul rejected David's idea, David persisted. Check this out. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, David said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by its jaw and club it to death. And David's a dude, man. He's legit. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do this to this pagan Philistine too, for he's defied the armies of living God. I have the strength. I have the power. David says, I can do this. Is that what he says? He says, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. His faithfulness, his trust was in God. So Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead. And may God be, God be with you. That's what he says. And peace be with you. You're like, you're like, really? Saul, you're not going to even walk out at the tent with him, you know, just to even see what happens? It's crazy. Here's the cool part and the maturing process that we see. When our hearts are faithful to God in battle, the little ones in lives, he gives us more opportunities to be leaders for him in the larger battles of life. So some of us want to do great things for God. We want to be involved in amazing things. Do you realize that if you are faithful with little, Jesus says, that you will be given more? Are we faithful with the little battles that are in front of us, that lead us to other opportunities to grow, other opportunities to be a leader and to have influence as our hearts are connected with him. So David convinces Saul, 
So, he, so Saul decides, all right, you need to be prepared. He puts on his own armor. Saul puts on his armor on David, which is too big. It's too clunky. It doesn't work. He says, I can't fight him this way. I got to do it my way. So he goes down to a stream and grabs five smooth stones. And this is a picture, you know, of the stream that they believe that that was, where it, obviously it's dried up, you know, on, the, on this day, you know, on this, at, at this time of year. The stream would be right there near the Israelite camp. I, um, I forgot to bring them down here, but um, I took three stones from that stream. I don't know if that's legal or not, you know, but uh, I have three, you know, in my office. One of them was uh, for my older son, Josiah. One of them's for Alex, and one of them was for me, but now I have three kids, so the other one's for Angelie. It's just to remind them as they get older, I'm going to bring it back out, I'm going to hand it to them, that it's not going to be your strength that's going to get you through. It's only going to be on the strength that God provides, and what seems impossible to man, do you put your trust and your hope in him? What a powerful reminder. So then it gets real. David's armed with a shepherd's staff and a sling, and he starts across the valley to fight the Philistines. So we took a picture right in the middle. You know, so right, that would be about right in the middle of where that valley, you know, would be. Now, I don't know about you, but I love a good trash talk. Anybody love trash talking? Okay, I, I'm sorry, I love it. I don't know if it's because I have two brothers, you know, and that kind of stuff. It just fires me up. Whenever I played sports and somebody said, you know, you know I got you or, you know, you can't handle me and stuff like that, I'm like, oh, now, now we're playing. You know, now we're having a good time. It just fires me up when there's some trash talk. In fact, there's nothing more exciting to me than even being a part of a church where other people say, there's no way you can do that. I'm like, yeah, say that more, please. Because that's when we're going to show you that through God, we can do so much more. So keep saying you can't. Keep saying you can't afford this. Keep saying you're not going to make an impact. Keep saying, like, that's where God shines the most. Let's do some trash talking around here, people. Amen. <laughs> so I think this in here. I don't know how much it relates to the lesson, but you have to see some epic trash talk that takes place. First Samuel 17, verse 43. Goliath starts it out. Am I a dog? Goliath roared at David that you would come at me with a stick. And so he cursed David by the names of his gods. We're keeping this PG. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David did not just sit back and be like, well, I'm a humble servant of God. No, he starts firing some major trash talk back. Check this out. You come at me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come at you with my own strength and power to do what I need to do. That's what he does. Notice what he says. But I come at you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel's, whom you have defied. David has nothing. Goliath has no idea what he's walking into. You're going to go against David? Yeah, you'll win almost every single time. You go against David with God on his side, you're going to lose every single time. Today, the Lord, not me, the Lord will conquer you, Goliath, and I then will kill you and cut off your head. Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. This is good. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword or spear. This is the Lord's battle. It's not our battle. It's the Lord's battle. It's my part to play in the battle. And he will give you to us. So David then grabs a simple sling, puts a rock in it, and he let it fly. And it went straight into the forehead of Goliath. And it says it knocked him unconscious to the ground. So then he grabs Goliath's sword and he lops off his head. Just cut it clean off. And it's fascinating because as soon as he did that, the strength in the Israelites' hearts came back. And they went, yeah, we got this now. Because they needed a leader who was going to trust God 
in the battle that was to be fought. The Israelites were doing it on their own strength, and how many of us do it on our own as well? And our hearts fail us, and they leave, and we're under why, and we escape instead of fighting the battle that God's called us to fight with him leading the way. Oh, by the way, I had to throw in one last scripture. 1 Samuel 17, 57, so you can see it's in the Bible. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Bet you didn't see that in flannel graph when you were in Sunday school. You know, for some of you guys are there, right? I mean, nine foot, how big? He's probably had a dome that was probably this big, just walking around like, yeah, what's up now? You know, just picture that. This is in the Bible, people, right? God put that in there for a reason. That's just crazy. Sorry, that's that's where my mind goes, you know, know, along along those lines. Goliath fought with his own strength. David fought with the power far beyond himself. So what giant or battle are you facing in your own strength and power right now? It's exhausting, isn't it? The battle belongs to the Lord. Your heart has got to be committed to him. Here's what I can tell you. I've gone through days and seasons and times where, where I fought on my own strength, my own experience, my own talent that God has given me in the very same way that, that King Saul did. And I get to the end of those days, weeks or months or seasons in my life, and I'm just like, Wow. I am completely exhausted. I don't know if there was any difference or impact that was made at all in the lives of other people. Then there's other seasons where you were absolutely dependent on God and you don't know how you're going to get through it. You trust him and you walk in his ways. And all of a sudden, you're like, that was amazing because it wasn't your battle. You had your part to play, but it was God's strength that carried you through the day. So one last question I had to ask myself that I hope you're asking yourself this morning. How can I develop the heart after God? How can I be his kind of leader? It's one word. Don't miss it. Surrender. It's not a word our culture talks about in terms of becoming a leader that we have to surrender. To have a heart after God doesn't mean try harder. It actually means surrender. To surrender my life to his will and his ways. To, to take time daily to say, God, this is your day. I surrender this day to you. I surrender all. And every time you do that, you find the strength that only he provides because now it's him at work instead of you doing all the lifting. We surrender by getting into groups with other people because we need other, other people's strength that God uses in our lives, which is why we have our small group fair this weekend. It's to say, it's not just coming on Sunday. You'll get some strength that way, but getting in each other's lives and encouraging and walking this journey together with Jesus at the center is what's most important. Let me close with this. A heart after God is not one that's perfect. We're going to get to that when it comes to David. It's not that you're not going to make mistakes. The question is, when you fall down and make the mistakes, will you get back up? That's the heart after God, to get back up, to ask for forgiveness, for grace, for mercy, and to say, God, I know my own heart. I know the tension that I battle with within, and I need your help when I do fall and I do fail. I couldn't help. I'm a kid who grew up in the church, so some of you guys are not going to have any idea what this is. But there's some things called hymns that I grew up with. And uh, uh, one of the hymns that came to my mind over and over this week was called Come Thou Fount. And it may sound funny to you because it almost sounds like it's a different language instead of the modern language you use today. But some of the words of the song is, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune My Heart, My Heart to Sing Thy Grace. And then down below it says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. 
So connect my wandering heart to you, God, because prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So what I do is I surrender. I take my heart. Lord, here it is. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's the idea of surrender. God, I need your help with this because it's out of this that all of this flows. Will you stand with me as we pray? Father, thank you so much for our time together. And I ask, Lord, that you would just draw our hearts to you, that we would fight the battles, little and small, with you in mind. Lead us, guide us, help us to sing these words from our hearts, not just from our mouths. And if there's anybody here who has not yet put their trust in you, that today would be the day they say, God, my heart is finally yours. Father, if there, there are those in this room that's wandered from you, that they realize that you are welcoming with open arms to come back and receive that grace. Change our heart, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.